Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. So a while back, I was attending a conference for pastors, uh, which I'm not going to lie, not my favorite setting. Uh, pastors can be kind of weird. Not me, but all the other ones. Um, so kind of a weird setting, but uh, at this particular conference for pastors, uh, there were two main stage speakers uh, that everybody there was especially excited to hear from. Um, we'll call them for our purposes, Steve and Matthew. So Steve got up on the stage first. And, and Steve's talk was titled, From the Promise to the Payoff. Alliteration, you know? I mean, so it's got to be true, right? Obviously. From the promise to the payoff. So the gist of Steve's message was basically if you obey God, if you're faithful in all the little things that God asks you to do throughout your life, that eventually God will reward you handsomely for that obedience. Case in point, Steve said, the illustration he used to prove that was that throughout his life, throughout Steve's life, he leveraged a lot of his time and money and effort and energy to build relationships with the other guys on his college football team. He sacrificed a lot of things to build those relationships. And and now, at least according to Steve, because of that obedience in his life, God had rewarded him with one of the fastest growing churches in America. Promise? then pay off. Next, Matthew got up. Uh, Matthew's talk was a little bit different from Steve's, uh, quite different, in fact. So, so Matthew's sermon was about John the Baptist. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the story in the Bible, John the Baptist was a New Testament figure. He was basically a prophet that preceded the ministry of Jesus. Uh, He was incredibly faithful to what God asked him to do, incredibly obedient, but then eventually uh, John was actually captured, he was imprisoned, and eventually beheaded. He was executed in a lot of ways because of his obedience to God, because he spoke the truths of the scriptures to power in his day. But it went very, very poorly for him as a result. That was the point of Matthew's Message. In fact, the tagline of his message was, follow God, it could end badly for you. <laughs> so two keynote speakers at this conference, two completely opposite messages. One said that following Jesus would lead to tangible, visible rewards in this life, and that's why you should obey. The other one said following Jesus is worth it regardless of the reward and that Jesus himself is the reward and that's why you should do it. That's why you should obey. Now, you might have a strong opinion of which one of those messages is more true, is more correct. I do too, but that's, that's not even why I bring it up. The reason I bring it up is because while I was at this conference, I ran into an old friend of mine who was there too. And I was just catching up with him, shooting the breeze, 
And, and I asked him, hey, what has been your favorite part of the conference so far? What have you enjoyed the most? And my friend, without even skipping a beat, he said, by far, Steve and Matthew's messages have been the best part of the conference. And internally, I was thinking, that can't possibly be true. They, they said opposite things. How, how could you think that those two messages, those two sermons, were the best part of this conference? They, they contradicted each other at nearly every turn. Now, to my friend's credit, I, I think maybe what he was feeling was that these two particular speakers were the most gifted communicators at the conference. They were the most dynamic speakers, which was absolutely true. They were definitely the best two communicators at the conference. But the content of their teachings could not have been more different from each other. And I think my friend's comment about what he enjoyed most about the conference, I, I think it raises a really important question for our consideration, which is, what makes a sermon good? What, what makes a, a teaching good versus bad? What, what makes a teaching good versus mediocre? Is it the content? Is it the giftedness of the communicator? Is it humor? Is it relatability? Is it insight? Is it the level of research that went into it? Is it the number of Greek words that you use? Like, what in the world makes for a good sermon? What makes teaching from the Bible good? And that's a question that matters perhaps even more than you think it does. For instance, thousands of Christians in early America supported the slave trade here because they were taught that the Bible supported it too. Millions of German Christians supported the horrors of Nazism because they were taught that the Bible was okay with it too. And then inversely, on the other side of the equation, substantial strides were made in our country during the civil rights movement of the 1960s because of what Martin Luther King Jr. and others taught from the Bible about justice. You see, what the church teaches from the Bible matters profoundly so. And therefore, it matters that we learn how to discern and recognize good and bad teaching. Last Sunday, we kicked off a new series about the church that we've called Church Matters. Basically, we are taking a moment to pause and talk about why we do this, what we're doing right now. Why it's important for us to gather together with other followers of Jesus on a regular basis throughout our life. We said last week that, that some of us, if we're not careful, can sort of go into autopilot when it comes to this right here. We can just kind of show up each and every Sunday or during the week at Life Group. We can just show up week after week and, and just do it because it's what we've always done or we feel like it's what we're supposed to do. It's easy to go into autopilot. And, and while that's not necessarily bad, I think it's also good to occasionally turn autopilot off and ask, why do we do this? Why do we get together with other followers of Jesus in settings like this? It's good to think about it and talk about it so we don't forget over time. So that's what we're doing during the series. And today, we are going to talk about one particular practice of the gathered church that goes all the way back to the very beginning of the church, and that's the sermon. 
From the earliest days of the New Testament church, one thing that the church did regularly was teach from the scriptures. So Acts chapter 2 is one of the first detailed descriptions we get of the early church and some of the things that they did together. And right at the very beginning of that description, late in Acts chapter 2, says that the early church, quote, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, an important part of the early church getting together with each other was them listening to what the apostles, the early church leaders, taught from the scriptures about the scriptures. Best we can tell, the early followers of Jesus would huddle up in one place. Sometimes it was in someone's home. Sometimes it was in a public place or a public arena. One of their leaders would read a passage from the scriptures or maybe multiple passages, and then they would expound on what was read. They would give instruction, teaching from the Bible. So simply put, this is why we here at City Church do something similar to that each and every Sunday. We have a member of our congregation read a passage over us, and then myself or one of the other leaders here will give a teaching based on that passage. That's not a new idea. It's actually a very, very old one. So this morning, what I want to do is talk about why we do that how we do that, and then why it matters how we do that. That's where we're headed this morning. So today will be a teaching about teachings, very meta in that way. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you're not already there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you're newer to the Bible... 2 Timothy is a letter that was written from a guy named Paul to a young protege of his named Timothy. Timothy was one of the leaders of a church in the city of Ephesus. And here, Paul is basically giving Timothy some instruction about the significance of the scriptures that that then eventually turns into some instruction about teaching and preaching from the scriptures early in chapter 4. But we're just going to look at a couple verses at the end of chapter 3. Pick it up with me in verse 16. We'll read those two verses once again. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, from those two verses, what I want to do is lay out a number of things for you about how we approach teaching and preaching here at City Church, about what, in our view, makes for good teaching. And our hope is that by doing that, we will help all of you be able to discern good teaching from bad teaching, both here Hopefully there's not that much bad teaching here, but there could be occasionally, and so it helps you discern good teaching from bad teaching here, and also whenever you're a part of any other community throughout your life. We want to help you have that level of discernment. So first, from that passage, good teaching is scriptural. Good teaching is scriptural. In other words, good teaching is based on the Bible. Look with me at verse 16 of what we just read. It says, all scripture is useful for teaching. But more fully, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and therefore useful for teaching. 
Scripture is the only thing that is breathed out by God and therefore the only thing that is useful for teaching in this setting. So Orthodox followers of Jesus down throughout history have always believed that this book, the Bible, is inspired by God himself. Now, when we say it's inspired by God, we don't just mean that he inspired the things in this book in the way that looking at a sunset might inspire a person to write a poem about it, or maybe more for our generation posted on Instagram, right? That, that's not what we mean by inspired. What we mean is God wanted these words written by the people that wrote them so that we could benefit from them. That's what we mean when we say the scriptures are inspired. Now, he did all of that through their individual intellects and personalities and languages and backgrounds and histories. So he didn't put the biblical authors like in a trance and dictate the words to them. That's not what we mean either. But still, these words are God's words written down for followers of Jesus throughout history, which is why they are useful for teaching. On the other hand, uh, my opinions are not breathed out by God. Now, they're my opinions, so I think they're really good. <laughs> but they're not inspired, right? They're not inspired by God. They're not breathed out by God. Uh, my life experiences are not breathed out by God. My current opinions on the inner workings of the American government landscape are not breathed out by God. My hot take on the latest Supreme Court decision is not breathed out by God. Do you see what I'm getting at? Just because someone stands behind a pulpit or a cocktail table or whatever this is, not really sure, just because somebody stands up on stage and calls what they're doing a sermon does not make it one. What makes it a good teaching is when scripture is used to teach, rebuke, correct, and train in righteousness. Good teaching is based on the Bible, which means it is not wrong once you've set through a teaching here or anywhere else for you to ask in response, does the Bible actually teach that? Does the Bible actually teach that? That's not a bad question to ask. Really, it's a necessary question to ask. To ask yourself, is that what the Bible says, or did that just feel right when that person said it? Those can be two very different things. Uh, I heard one pastor put it like this, and I thought it was really helpful. Um, on any given Sunday when I'm up here teaching, my guess is that about 90% of what I say is correct. Let me explain. About 90% of what I say up here, maybe a little bit more than that, hopefully is spot on. About 10% of what I say probably isn't spot on. Now, hopefully it's never like outright heretical, right? Otherwise, this would be a bad church for you to be at. But maybe just a little bit off. Maybe I should have studied that idea or that phrase or that verse just a little bit more before I taught it. Maybe I should have said what I said a little bit differently with a little more nuance as I said it. Maybe the content of what I said was right, but the tone of what I said was off. Things like that. Simply put, I am not infallible. The scriptures are infallible, but I am not. 
So occasionally, I am going to miss the mark in how I teach the scriptures. Now, here's the problem. I don't know which 10% is off. So it's not like I'm putting my notes together each Sunday and I'm like, all right, here's where I'm going to put the wrong part. That's not how it works. I don't know what I don't know. So for us to be a healthy church here at City Church, I actually need each of you to test what I say. Hold the things that I say up against the scriptures and ask, is that what the Bible teaches? And especially if I regularly teach an idea or a concept that you think is wrong, I need you to come talk to me about it. I need you to come tell me. Then our church is healthier as a result of that conversation. Does that make sense? That's the idea. Okay, now I will tell you this. um, Biblical teaching and preaching isn't primarily about style. It's not primarily about style. That's not what we're talking about. There can be all kinds of different teaching styles that are all based on Scripture. So I have heard some people teach the Bible in a way that is compelling and captivating and has you on the edge of your seat just wondering what they're going to say next. And they did all of that in a way that was scriptural, that was based on the Bible. I've heard other people teach the Bible in a way that was monotone, and very informational and matter of fact and came across like the driest of college professors giving a lecture, right? But that teaching was scriptural too. Good teaching is not really about style. Um, Good teaching is also not really about method. Some people would say that the only way to teach the scriptures faithfully is by going line by line through books of the Bible. That's all you should do. The only problem with that is that if you teach through every book of the Bible line by line, you'll never find a single place that says that's the only way to teach the Bible. How's that for irony, right? So feel free to do it that way. Feel free to do it that way always, but you don't have to. So here at City Church, we like to spend some time walking line by line through books of the Bible, like we've been doing with Matthew for the past 18 years or so, I think. And other times, we like to use the Bible to speak into various questions and issues of our day, kind of like we're doing right now with this series. We like to do both of those things. We think both can be healthy approaches to teaching the scriptures. But my point is that when we say good teaching is based on scripture, we're not really talking about style or method. We're talking about content. The content of good teaching is based on and consistent with the scriptures. The last thing I'll mention here, which is very important, is that all good teaching based on the Bible should at some point in the teaching point us to Jesus. It should at some point teach, point us to Jesus. If teaching is truly consistent with scripture, it should lead us to Jesus because that's what scripture itself does. Look with me on the screen at John chapter 5. This is Jesus leveling a critique of the religious authorities of his day, their sort of misunderstanding and misreading of the Bible. He says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life, but these are the scriptures that testify about me, about Jesus, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus says that the scriptures all testify about him. They all lead us ultimately to him. 
So if you teach or if you read from the scriptures and you miss Jesus, that means you need to go back and read or teach them again. Because the hope is that in every teaching we give up here on Sundays, we help you see and appreciate and savor the beauty of Jesus and what he accomplished on our behalf. That is always the ultimate aim of good Bible teaching, pointing people to Jesus. Okay, second, good teaching is also useful. It's also useful. Look back with me again at verse 16 of our passage. It says that all scripture is useful for teaching. That word useful in the original language could mean useful or profitable or even helpful, beneficial in other words. All scripture is useful, is beneficial for teaching, which means if we've taught the scriptures in a way that wasn't useful, that means we've missed something. In other words, good teaching is practical. The purpose of teaching is not just to stand up in front of people and say true things about God or the Bible. It's not less than that, but it's certainly more. We don't want to just say true things to you about God. We want to help all of us implement true things into our lives. James, the brother of Jesus, puts it like this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. At City Church, we don't just want to know true things about God. We want to do something with what we know. We want to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. So when we teach, our goal is not just to tell you true things. Our goal is to tell you what is true and then help you learn how to implement what is true into your life in practical ways. In 2 Timothy, Paul even gives us some examples of what usefulness in the scriptures looks like. He says sometimes it's teaching, sometimes it's correcting, sometimes it's rebuking, and sometimes it's training in righteousness. But good teaching is always useful because scripture is always useful. This is why our church puts together discussion questions each week based on the teaching for your life group to discuss together. It's to help you not just listen to what was said on Sunday, but also to do what was said, to put the things that we talk about into practice in tangible ways. When our teaching team puts together a sermon each and every week, we're asking primarily two questions about what we say. First, we want to answer the question, what does the Bible say? That's question number one. But then second, we're asking, what do our people need to do with what the Bible says? Two questions that we ask. And the first question there, we rely on careful studies and commentaries and reading and people smarter than us to help us interpret what the Bible says. But the second one, when we ask, what do our people need to do with what the scriptures say, we rely on the Holy Spirit and relationships with y'all to help us figure out. Two different questions we want to ask because we want to help you not just hear what the scriptures say, but also put it into practice. 
So when someone stands up here on Sundays and gives a teaching, they aren't just wanting to fill you with information. They're wanting to show you how that information transforms the way that you view God, yourself, and other people, which feeds directly into our next idea, which is that good teaching is also formative. Good teaching is also formative. So Paul writes, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that, in result, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Good teaching and preaching is actually a means to an end. It's meant to form all of us over time into the image of Jesus, into who God made us to be. So teaching is not just something I do because I want recognition or because it feels good to be up here and have a captive audience. In fact, most days, if I'm honest, I would rather not be doing this. I would rather be sitting across a dinner table from y'all. That would be way better, in my opinion. But I do this because it is a means to an end. It's a God-ordained way of forming us all into who he made us to be as his people. At the very beginning of COVID, our church did what I think a lot of churches did, which is that we went almost entirely, put our services online, all of that stuff. Um, and during those months, the teachings that I gave were literally me in my office talking to an iPhone camera because we're cheap as a church. That's the moral of that story. <laughs> and can I tell you that those months of, of teaching to a video camera were the most that I have ever wanted to quit my job here at City Church? I don't think ever in my life have I been more frustrated with my job than that. In fact, you can ask our staff uh, every Thursday, which was usually the day that I would film the teaching so that we could post it online for Sunday. Every Thursday, uh, I would just get real grumpy. Like, I just get so grumpy. Walking around, nobody wanted to be around me because I was just mad that I had to go teach to a video camera. And, and there's probably a lot of reasons that I didn't enjoy that. But one reason was that to me, it did not feel like I was teaching to form people when I was looking at an iPhone camera. It felt like I was teaching to an iPhone. What I love so much about doing this up here on Sundays is that as I am teaching the scriptures, I get to see your faces. And so many of you, I, I know you, I know some of the stuff that you're dealing with and going through right now, and I have that in mind as I am teaching the scriptures to you, as I'm deciding throughout the week what to say, but then as I say it on Sundays, and even those of you that I don't know in this room, I still get to see your face as you respond to what is said up here on Sunday, and that helps me know if what I'm doing is helpful or not. It helps me know that what I'm doing is forming you guys. It helps me know that what I'm doing is actually having an effect. It's helping you love God and others well. One of the best things for me as a communicator is, is actually not when people come up to me or email me and just tell me that a sermon was good. Don't get me wrong, you're welcome to do that. Encouragement is always helpful. But for me, that's actually not the most encouraging thing in regards to teaching. The best thing for me as a teacher of the Bible is when I get to witness y'all being who God made y'all to be. 
when I get to see the effect that it's having on how you love people in our city. The biggest encouragement I can receive is when I get to witness examples of y'all being formed over time into the image of Jesus. That is better than any good sermon email that I could ever get. Because that's the purpose of teaching. It's to form people. It's to help all of us become who God made us to be. One of the ways that we try to equip you guys is by training you to be good missionaries in the city of Knoxville. We want to equip you to know how to talk well about different aspects of faith in Jesus so that if you find yourself in a conversation with a classmate or a coworker or a neighbor or a friend, you know what to say in those moments or at least have some idea of what to say in those moments. We've actually had a lot of different people over the years uh, ask us why we spend so much time on Sunday speaking to objections and sort of pushbacks that people have to faith in Jesus. It's a really good question. Part of the reason we do it is because on any given Sunday, several people could walk in that are in that place that have those objections, that have those obstacles to faith in Jesus. But bigger picture, the reason we speak to obstacles and objections to faith is because we want to model for you guys how to speak to those things in your everyday relationships with people. We're trying to equip you to be missionaries by teaching you how to speak with both truth and grace when those obstacles and objections come up with a coworker or a neighbor or a classmate or whoever it is. It's just one particular way that we are seeking to form and equip you for every good work through our teaching. So to summarize so far, good teaching is scriptural, it's useful, it's, inform it's formative. Those are all things that I think good teachers of the scriptures do and that you as the hearers should be listening for in good teaching. But with that established, what I want to do for the remainder of our time this morning is I want to pivot, sort of shift our attention to a couple aspects of teaching that have more to do with your role as the teacher. I've now told you what to look for in a person giving good teaching. Now I want us to talk about a couple things that are important for you as the listener of good teaching. So two things here. First, good teaching is made effective by how it is heard. Good teaching is made effective by how it is heard. So in all but one of the Gospels in the Bible, Jesus tells this parable or a short story of sorts about a farmer who throws seed on different types of soil. Jesus tells the disciples that the four different types of soil in the story are meant to represent different postures towards the teaching of Jesus, towards how that teaching is heard. They represent, in other words, how we hear teaching. And in the story, three of the four types of soil ultimately prove unfruitful. The, the seed yields no results in three of the four types of soil. Only one of them is effective. But what's interesting to me in this particular parable is that the message that gets taught is the same every time, right? So the seed is the seed is the seed is the seed. It's the same each time. The message does not change. The difference maker, according to Jesus in the parable, is actually in the soil. It's in how the message gets heard. Ultimately, the secret to effective, fruitful teaching from the scriptures actually isn't in the teaching itself. 
It's in how the teaching gets heard. Here's another reason I know this is true. People in the Gospels heard Jesus himself teach the scriptures. Think about that. So I, I wasn't personally there, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Jesus' teaching from the scriptures was probably pretty good. Dang near perfect, right? Probably pretty good teaching. And yet, some people heard the teaching of Jesus and walked away unchanged. Unmotivated. Unconvinced. Which tells me that ultimately good teaching being effective is at least somewhat dependent on how it gets heard. The person who shows up here on Sundays expectant, with a heart willing to do the work of listening and considering and discerning and internalizing and implementing those things into their life, that person's heart will bear fruit every time. No matter the quality of the teaching, no matter the giftedness of the communicator, no matter the depth of the insight or the research, no matter the humor or emotion or lack thereof in the teaching, the heart that longs to hear will hear. But the heart that doesn't want to hear will find a thousand reasons to justify not hearing. I have seen churches where the teaching is phenomenal like way better than you're ever gonna get here or most other places. Like just phenomenal, deep teaching from the Bible. And there will be people at those churches who have been there for years and who are some of the more spiritually immature people I've ever met. Even though they sit under great teaching week in and week out. And then I've been at other places where the teaching, to be honest, is not great kind of shallow, kind of surface, not very theologically deep at all. And I've met some of the most spiritually mature people that I know who are at those churches. You see, the secret to effective teaching actually isn't in the message. What makes the message effective is how it gets heard. The response to it, the willingness to listen and listen well. So each week, uh, when I get down off of this stage, after I get done teaching, I go right over there, I sit down, and I pray. And depending on the week, I might be praying for a lot of different things, but one of the things that I'm praying for every single time is for how you hear. Is for how every person in this room hears what is said. I'm praying that regardless of the quality of the teaching I just gave, that the Spirit would make each of us willing to hear what was being said. I'm praying that he will make us receptive, like the fourth type of soil in the parable that Jesus tells. And just for clarity's sake, that includes me. I'm praying for how I hear what was said. It's not uncommon that as I'm up here giving a teaching on Sundays, I, I'm in the moment going, oh, wow, I needed to hear that. I needed to listen to that. I needed to repent of that. I needed to work on that. And my hope is that all of us are taking that posture when we hear teaching from the scriptures because the fruitfulness of the message is always determined ultimately by how it gets heard by the listener. Finally, last one. Good teaching gets repeated to others. Gets repeated to others. And just for clarity, this is 
not me. I don't need you to like, you know, cite your source when you echo things to other people. This is not about me. This is about what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the previous chapter from where we've been looking most of our time together this morning. We'll put this up on the screen. 2 Timothy 2 says this, you then, Timothy, he's talking to Timothy again here, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So notice in what Paul just said, in those two verses, there are at least three levels of teaching taking place. You see that? So Paul, the author, teaches Timothy things from the scriptures that he then wants Timothy to teach other people who are qualified to teach other people. Do you see that? One final mark of good teaching in Paul's mind is that it gets repeated. It gets taught to others who teach it to others who teach it to others and on down the line. It is so important for us to remember, and I think this is especially true in America where we have a tendency to be very individualistic in our view of the world. It is so incredibly important for you to remember that hearing teaching from the Bible each week is not all about you. Hopefully a lot of the weeks, what we say very much applies to you in some way, shape, or form. That's the goal. But occasionally, there are going to be weeks where you go, yeah, I just don't really feel like that was for me. I don't really feel like that's exactly where I'm at. I don't feel like that's exactly what I'm dealing with right now. That is inevitably going to happen from time to time. And so something I would encourage you to ask on those weeks where it doesn't feel like it immediately applies to you is, okay, if that teaching wasn't for me, who might it be for? Who might it be for? What, what friend of mine, what family member of mine, what coworker of mine, classmate of mine needs to hear this or some version of this? And now that I've heard it, how might I be helpful in teaching it to them? Part of the reason that church matters is because we are all actually called to teach one another. Colossians says that we should let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish one another. Romans tells us that we are filled with goodness and knowledge in order to instruct one another. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 tells us that we are all called to go and make disciples of all nations, which includes, according to Jesus, teaching people to obey everything that he has commanded us. Here's the point. If you are a follower of Jesus, congratulations, you are officially a teacher. You're a teacher of somebody, at least in some capacity, right? And one of the ways that you know your posture is healthy towards teaching is that you're not just looking for how the teaching you've heard benefits you, but also how it might benefit others. Let's say we give a teaching on marriage one Sunday and you're not married. That means it probably didn't apply to you at least most of it. But you probably know somebody who is married and you might know somebody who needs to hear it. Let's say we give a teaching on singleness and you're not single, okay? But do you know somebody who's single? Might some of that be helpful for them, the truths that we taught from the scriptures? Might that be helpful for friends of yours who are single? Let's say we give a sermon on parenting and you're not a parent, okay? Might it be helpful for someone who is? 
Sometimes it can be so powerful to relay what we have learned from others. And I know many of you have taken teachings that we've given up here on Sunday and you've sent them to family members of yours or friends of yours or people that don't know Jesus or whatever the case is. And we love that. We love getting to hear stories of that happening and hopefully that continues. But I, I will also say there, there may be times where the thing that we said on Sunday could be even more helpful coming from you personally from you taking what we taught on Sunday and distilling it down, figuring out how to relay that to that friend of yours and you actually spending that time with them. Sometimes you're gonna be able to speak it in a way that's even more helpful than them listening to a sermon from here. Both are great, but just consider, might there be opportunities for that in my life? And then when you go through the effort to teach someone, run what you are saying through the same questions that we've already asked today. So first, is what I'm saying scriptural? Is it based in the Bible? Second, is what I'm saying useful? Am I just throwing a true statement at them about God? Or am I actually giving them something that profits them, benefits them in some way? And finally, is what I'm saying actually done with the intention of forming them into who God made them to be? That's important. Scripture is not just for correcting. Notice Paul uses all kinds of words in this passage. So if we're just throwing scripture at people in a way that makes them feel like they're wrong and that's it, I would ask, is that profitable for them or could you actually be more helpful in the way that you relay that to them? As followers of Jesus, we are all called to teach in some way, shape, or form. And the hope is that the teaching we're doing up here in this setting is actually not just teaching you, but also equipping you to teach others. So who are you teaching? Where are you teaching? How are you teaching? And how might you rely on the Spirit's help for all of that? So I just wanna leave you with this. This is Isaiah 52, verse seven. I love the language in this passage. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. So according to Isaiah, it is a beautiful thing to be the person who comes bearing good news from the scriptures about what Jesus has done for us. When we enter into a relationship or a setting or a situation in our lives with the truths of the scriptures on our lips, ready to share, that is a beautiful thing. And what's interesting to me is that Paul in Romans 10, he quotes this verse from Isaiah and then he makes it clear that that word from Isaiah actually applies to all of us who follows Jesus, follow Jesus. It, it's not just my job to deliver good news, it's your job. So my prayer for every follower of Jesus in the room is that we would see this as our responsibility. One of the things that I talk about a lot with people in my life group, with many of you in the room, is that sure, in some ways, it is my responsibility or another leader's responsibility to get up here and give teaching on Sunday. But when we read through the New Testament, what we see is that God has also given many of us teachings for one another. So one of the purposes in this series is that we would more and more not just see our role on Sundays to, to show up and to hear a teaching, but to also ask, might God have given me something for someone else here? someone that I came with, someone in my life group who's going through something. 
something that the Holy Spirit prompts me to speak to one another. And we get to test all of those things. We get to hold them up against scripture just like we do everything else to make sure they're true and helpful and profitable and formative and all of that. But the New Testament talks about when we come together, each of us has a word, has an instruction, has a teaching, and that all of those things are done for the purpose of building up. So if nothing else, hear me say this morning, God might have given you something here for someone else. The, the title of this sermon is not I teach, it's not Kent teaches, it's we teach. This is just where it starts. So don't be afraid to speak the things that you feel like might be helpful from the scriptures to each other. That's part of why we gather together. Again, if all it was was me delivering a sermon, we could have done this online. But if we're all here so that we can benefit and profit one another, well then this setting actually makes a lot of sense. I want all of us to realize that we are in some sense teachers. And so I want us to be helpful Teachers, I want us all to be receivers of the gospel, receivers of the good news, for sure, but also proclaimers of the gospel, relayers of the gospel, people that speak those truths to one another throughout our lives, such that it changes our lives and others' lives in the process. Let me pray for us.